0: Let the children of God say amen. Amen. Let the children of God say amen again. How blessed we are this morning to come to God's place for God's purpose as we endeavor to live better according to God's word. The Lord has sought fit to bring us here in a state of worship. It's not because we were perfect or even because we were innocent, but rather we have been justified by him. My life is spent under the knife. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let us go to God in prayer. Heavenly, kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have done and what you are doing right now in our very life. Father, this time be with everyone under the sound of my voice. Father, open their minds, their hearts, their spirits, their souls, and yes, even their ears to hear a word coming straight from you via your manservant. This time equip and empower your manservant, Father, to deliver your word, knowing I'm not the author of these words. Father, this is your mind. These are your words. And Father, I'm thankful that you've decided to use my mouth. Father, help your servant to stand flat-footed and firm upon your word, not focusing on his own thoughts or feelings or ideologies or psychology, but let your word shine through and bless your people. Father, this time we come to you as empty pitchers to a flowing fountain. Father, feed us and feed us till we want no more. Father, this time, bless the word. This time, bless your servant. At this time, bless us all as your children. Give us what we need for what we need it for. Father, at this time, use dirt to speak to dirt so we may all clean up our dirty ways. All these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. My life is spent under the knife. In keeping in line with our sermonic series, Hope for the Holidays, I want to focus our sermonic extrapolation around the thought of hope in transition. Hope in transition. Because I don't know about you, but for me it's hard to go from where I don't know to where he wants me to grow. We are all constantly living in transition. Metamorphosis is difficult but the expectation is that I will grow by way of continuous circumcision. And that continuous circumcision will breed rapid and relevant transition in my life so that when I die, not knowing when that time will be, then I can see his face in peace. Transition. Transition of any nature, is permeated and undergirded by hope. When a child is to be born, we hope for his health and continued guidance. When that same child transitions to grade school, we hope for his educational enlightenment as well as his safety. When that said child becomes an adolescent, let the parents of teenagers say amen. When that same child becomes an adolescent, we hope that he or she will make the right decisions and not be tormented by peer pressure. When that same child graduates from high school and decides to matriculate collegiately or in the world of work, we hope that what we taught them will manifest itself in their behavior. When our children decide to court and marry, we hope that they will choose the right mate and be the right mate themselves. When those same children prepare to have children even of their own, the hope cycle begins all over again. You cannot have transition without having hope. Whenever there's change, transition and metamorphosis afoot, hope is always most evident. The same is true even in our Christian transition. For it was Peter who purports in 1 Peter that we are all transitioning from a life of darkness into his wonderful light. And even in that transition, church, there is hope. What is hope, Jeremy? Hope, again, is a joyous expectation. The joyous expectation in our Christian transition is that we what, rather, is that what we will be will save us from who we have been? It's because of what I have been and who I'm trying to be that I have to have hope. I have a joyous expectation that God will take me from where I am to where He wants me to be. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul, deals with transition. And because he's dealing with the difference between his past and his future, it is indicative that hope must be present. He begins in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse number 3. And the word he begins with is the word for. For is an authoritative conjunction. Now, I know there's much more text, but I got to park at the word for. For as a conjunction always speaks emphatically as well as authoritatively. When we talk about for being an authoritative conjunction, it means that the latter is certified By the prior. When we talk about Scripture in Romans 10, 17, for faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, for is the authoritative conjunction. When we talk about faith, yes, faith is the subject, but it's because of hearing that hearing certifies our faith. When we talk about for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, the leaving and cleaving is the subject, but it's certified because it says for this cause. This cause meaning what? God's order, God's will, God's way. For this cause, there's a certification that man will leave and cleave. You cannot jump over the word for because the word for speaks authoritatively. So when we say for we are the true circumcision, if for is a conjunction that speaks authoritatively, then we have to figure out what happened before the for that certifies what's coming after the for. We know after the four that we are identified as the circumcision, but what makes us the circumcision? What is the cause of us being circumcised? By what authority are we circumcised? I'm so glad you asked. Before the 4, here in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 3, you got to go back to Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, which is the base of this pericope. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 tells us, for this same mind ought to be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. Meaning what? It's because we have a changed mind that certifies us to be the circumcision. It's because we have a changed mind that we have the authority to be grouped with the circumcision of God. I don't know about you, but even here I see God's plan of salvation in the text. I don't know about you, but even here I see God's GPS for man right here in the Philippian text. If you are here this morning and you want to be saved, if you're here this morning and you're looking to make heaven your final destination, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that you must start by changing your mind. You must start by surrendering your thinking. I don't know about you, but when I see a change of mind and a surrendering of the way we think, I see repentance in the text. Man has to change his or her mind and commit to taking on his mind, commit to taking on the mind of Christ. Man must commit to taking on his mind before he takes on his name. I wish I had somebody here at Gray Road. You can't take on his name unless you first commit to take on his mind. Man takes on Christ in the water of baptism. And understand that the concept of baptism was not foreign to the city and or municipality of Philippi. Because even as the gospel was traveling to place to place in the acts of the apostles, the gospel of Christ came in contact with the residents of Philippi. I wish I had some script with that lip. I'm so glad you asked. The gospel of Christ first came to Philippi amongst a group of women, specifically an entrepreneur named Lydia. Acts chapter 16 Verse number 12. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath day we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira Her name was Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Notice what the text says. It says she was a worshiper of God, but the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. This ain't in my notes, but I got to tell you right here. Notice she was a worshiper of God, but something was lacking in her worship. The text says, yes, she was a worshiper of God. She knew of God, but there was still a response that Lydia lacked. Understand that, yes, she might have worshipped God in the past, but her past worship was missing something. And I'm here to tell you that there's a whole lot of folk in church right now, all across Cincinnati and all across the world, but there's something missing in their worship. There's something lacking in their praise. And there's a whole lot of folk in a church somewhere, but what's lacking is the truth. The truth is lacking. And there's a whole lot of folk who are religious in the world, but being religious will not save us. The question is not, is man religious? The question is, is man right? She was a worshiper of God. But the Lord opened her heart to Paul's message. Something has to be preached in order for man to respond. But it wasn't just the preaching and calling upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. But verse number 15, when she and her members of her house heard Paul's message, they were baptized. was the same gospel message that went through Philippi that came in contact with a jailer even in the midnight hours. Acts sixteen twenty-five. at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, so much so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains fell off. Oh, if I had time for a commercial break, I would tell you, when the gospel is preached, chains do fall off. Oh, if I had time for a commercial break, I would tell you that when the gospel is preached, prison doors do fly open. If I had time for a commercial break, I would tell you, whenever God is brought up, freedom automatically occurs. Verse number 29, the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your household and you will be saved. They spoke the word of the Lord, and at that same time to the others in his house, and at that hour in the night, they were all baptized, he and his household. What's the point, preacher? Understand that while a change of mindset is prerequisite, and baptism is quintessential, man's salvation process does not end at baptism. And God's GPS does not mark baptism as man's final destination. Man must continue converting from the inside out. And man must continuously circumcise the flesh, not the flesh that protects the reproductive organ, but rather the flesh that surrounds the repetitive organ, which is the heart. Man must circumcise his heart. God wants access to the heart. God wants change to occur from the heart. God judges the heart. God hears the heart. God wants your heart. But in order for God to do his work, he needs access to your heart. Therefore, it's once we commit to Christ that yes, we must be washed, but our washing is just the first step in our surgical process. Because while baptism takes minutes, circumcision Takes a lifetime. He will spend the rest of my life cutting away the flesh because my flesh and his faithfulness can never dwell together. That's just the word folks. Amen when you can. I told you I wasn't getting far today. For it is we who are. The true circumcision. We is a specific audience. Paul is speaking specifically to the babe in Christ at Philippi. We are now different. We are now not what we were. And because we are not what we were, change must take place. Understand, you used to be something else. You used to be a bunch of no-good Gentiles. But now, for, authoritatively, for, we are now the true circumcision. We are those who have committed to Christ. And in that commitment, we have dedicated ourselves to constantly cutting ourselves free of malice in order to obtain mercy. We've decided to cut hurt in order to receive healing. We've decided to cut drama in order to receive deliverance. We've decided to cut bad habits in order to receive a blessed hope, We have decided to use circumcision not to disfigure our carnality but rather to design our Christianity. To the world, circumcision looks like destruction. And for Paul to give up all that he has humanistically worked for also seemed like destruction. But what Paul knew then and what we need to know now from a Christian sense is that what looks like destruction is sometimes needed for our construction. Somebody missed your shout at 11 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes what looks like destruction is needed for our construction. God sometimes seemingly disfigures us, destroys us, or even demolishes us because he wants to build something far superior to what stood in our lives before we acknowledged him. But in order for construction to occur, destruction had to first take place. Because what God is trying to build in you will never stand until he creates within you the right foundation. God says, yes, because of your carnality and humanity, you see the need for a new structure. But I in my divinity see the need not only for a new structure, I see the need for new infrastructure. I wish I had a church in here. Sometimes we say we need to rebuild from the ground up. God says, no, I need to tear the whole ground up. Sometimes we say I need to fix this. But God is saying I need to take all that out. All you see is structure, because all you see is humanistic. But sometimes, in order to fix you, i got to tear down what's above the surface. And then i got to work under the surface. It, it's kind of like uh, the roads that are going up here in Cincinnati. If you drive down Mitchell, they're tearing the whole thing up. If you drive up Winton, they're tearing the whole thing up. And, and you're wondering, how in the world, Herschel, are they getting done with these roads so fast? It, it seems that like they're trying to get done before Christmas. Say amen. And you're thinking yourself, you remember when Great Road was all tore up and, and then they shut down Great Road for three weeks to fix it? And you say, how, after all that damage, did they fix Great Road in three weeks? You know what happened, Herschel? They fixed the structure without fixing the infrastructure. I wish I had somebody in here. You can keep on replacing asphalt, but at a certain time, you got to dig up everything that used to be for what needs to be. God is saying, yes, you're worried about destruction. I'm worried about construction, but I can't construct until I'm allowed to destruct. I can't work until you decide to circumcise your heart. I can't build the house until you let me touch the foundation. I can't fix the structure until you let me do some infrastructural work. Because what's really wrong with you is what you can't see. But I can see what you can see and what you can't see. And I got to work first in what you can't see so I can fix what you can see. Stand. You say, look here, I'm needing to tear down what walls so I can lay down some bedrock. Knowing that Jesus not only has to be the builder of what takes place in your life but he also needs to be the sole building material of what goes in your life. Jesus is the architect. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse number 9 For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So we know Who is the builder? But every builder needs the right building materials. And the builder and his materials, as it pertains to our lives, are one and the same. The builder is Jesus. But every building starts with the right foundation. Oh, I'm so glad Matthew 16 and 17. Blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And upon what? This rock, I'll build my church. There's some building going on, but you gotta build it on the right foundation. Not only am I the architect, I'm also the building material. You gotta start with me. And when you look at the Greek there, of Petra. Being rock, it talks about a bedrock, a foundational stone. Which means what? When it comes to you, I'm the builder. When it comes to you, I'm the foundation. Brother Frank, once you lay the foundation, before you start lining up bricks, you got to start with a cornerstone. Oh, I wish I had a church in here. I'm so glad that scripture tells me in Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but now fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being what? The cornerstone. Y'all don't like that. I'm so glad Peter said it too. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 7. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So that tells me that when it comes to my life, God is the designer, God is the architect, God's the foundation. God's the cornerstone. I'm so glad Paul told the church in Colossae that it's because of him that all things are and all things are held together. Meaning my God is the builder. My God is the architect. My God is the foundation. My God is the cornerstone. And my God is the glue, which means he's also the mortar. Everything about me starts with God comes from God, built by God. I wish I had somebody because I know if I start with God and I'm built by God, I'll be redeemed by God and I want to take on his name but I can't take on his name until I first take on his mind and it's because I've accepted his mind that I can accept his name and then I understand that for we are the true circumcision. What's the point, Jeremy? The point is you can't build your faith on a mixed foundation. A little bit of Jesus. A little bit of Satan. The only house that goes on top of a divided foundation is a house divided. Mark 3 and 25. And that house will not stand. Just in case you haven't caught on yet, though Paul forgetting the past And striving toward the future is the destination of the text. Which means I'll see all of y'all at 6 o'clock tonight. Say amen when you can. That's the destination. But you can't get to the destination until you first start from the launching pad. The launching pad of the text is circumcision. Because if we don't decide to be circumcised of our past, then striving toward our future is futile. See, it's good to come in and shout about, I'm forgetting my past and striving toward my future. But you must first be committed to continuous circumcision. You can't leave what you're too afraid to cut away. God wants us to run. God wants progress. But you need to know that this journey, this race, and this battlefield is not for the uncircumcised regardless of gender, regardless of medical history, God needs men and women who have decided to circumcise their heart. While we are not speaking specifically of the medical procedure, there is some spiritual relevance towards this medical recommendation. As Christians we all should be continuous in the activity of circumcision. Meaning that we should always be taking what was and peeling it back for what can be. But in circumcision, both medically and spiritually, there is a separation of two entities for the purpose of cleanliness. Some of y'all miss your shout. There's a separation of two entities for the purpose of cleanliness. And the circumcision of the spiritual man is necessary for cleanliness because the filth of the flesh and the sanitary nature of the spirit cannot cohabitate one with another. But also... In a circumcision of both a medical and spiritual nature, there must be a knife involved. In a circumcision of both a medical and spiritual nature, there must be a knife involved. And whatever knife is used must be surgically sharp. And I'm here to tell you that the knife of spiritual circumcision is not of titanium, but rather it's a knife of truth. Because the last time I checked, the knife of the way is like a two-edged sword. Come here, Hebrew writer. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. For the word of God is alive and active. Oh, that's preaching right there. Sharper than any double-edged sword. What does it do? It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of what? The heart. You can't do surgery on the heart without the knife of the way. It's time for some of us to get serious with the way. We wonder why God has no access in our lives, no access in our actions, no access in our heart. Why God can't change us because you're trying to do surgery without a knife. Then those of us who pick up a knife, Brother Frank, we don't want it sharp. We want it dull. Tell me some smooth stuff. Give me some smooth preaching. Brother Flyers, better tell me what I want to hear today. Nobody want to hear all that change stuff and obligation stuff and commitment stuff and what I ain't doing stuff. Brother Bear, why can't he talk about joy and peace and hope and love and mercy? Understand, understand. You can't take what's dull until you first take what's sharp. The word is a double-edged sword. It's not a butter knife. If the word feels too good to you too long, it's because you're not applying enough pressure. Understand that circumcision is not even necessary until after a birth has occurred. Yes, the word is good for everybody, but it doesn't have the value of changing your life. Until you first surrender your life. Circumcision happens after birth. Well, hold on, wait a minute, Jamie. I'm 40 years old. you talking about being birthed again? Oh, I remember in John chapter 3 when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. Nicodemus being a smart man said, How can a man be born again when he is old? John chapter 3 verse number 5, Jesus reminded him, Unless a man be born of water and of spirit. Man must be born again, but after man is born, it's necessary immediately for circumcision. To occur, it's one thing to come down here and ask you the question, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And you say yes, and you go down in water, and you come up again, and you're having a good day, and you feel that the Lord has really moved in your life, and he has moved in your life. But after baptism, you need to start using the way to prune your life and change your life and circumcise your heart. The devil has no problem with you getting baptized. The devil has a problem with you becoming circumcised. He has no problem with you going down in water in terms of your body as long as he can keep your heart. God says, yes, I want your body, but yes, baptism in water is more than just getting wet. I really want your heart, but I know that circumcision don't have its place until a birth occurs. Understand? that after birth, circumcision becomes necessary. Because it's after one has been born again that they realize that how they once lived is contrary to the desire of Christ. And they realize this by the power of his word. Therefore, a sincere person who is in Christ will willingly pick up the blade of circumcision. They will read the word, study the word, Meditate on the word, and in doing so, the word will cause you pain. It'll cause you pain. And see, see, I'm not, I'm not, I'm cognizant to the fact that a lot of folk who come here, they don't read their Bible any other time than when they stand and I read it to them. Who's quiet in here? Let's come talk to some quiet people. I'm cognizant of the fact that a lot of people who come here don't read their Bible until they stand and I read it to them. You know why that is? It's not because you're too busy. Because you find time for everything else. It's because you know what I know. When we read the word, you can't read it without inflicting pain on yourself. You can't play with a sword long and not stick yourself. word, it's a swarm, it's a pruning fall. But guess what else it is? The word's a mirror why James says, a man who looks in the mirror, wow. he see, it's the mirror. The word don't play with you. You can hide in front and fake with me, but you can't hide in front and fake with the word. Wow. So I don't want to pick that up because then I got to deal with what I really look like versus what I purport to look like to everybody else. Wow. And if you really hold the word long enough, wow. it ought to convict you. It ought to indict you. It ought to identify you. Those who have strong study habits have a strong desire to change. Why? Because I know that what I look like ain't what this looks like. And that's from the preacher down to the pew. I read enough word, I said, that's not me. Now one of us got to change. The word ain't going to change. See, when we look At circumcision, it's best to have it immediately following birth. You can have it any time. But the longer you wait between birth and circumcision, the more it's going to (laughs) hurt Lastly, notice Paul uses the definitive pronoun of we because though circumcision had already been a procedure applied since the time of the Hebrew nation, Genesis 17 and 12. But he's not speaking to Jews, but to Gentile men who would have not had to be circumcised by the Pentateuchal text. Therefore, he is declaring that we are the circumcised. We are circumcised in a place where man's blade will not reach. We are those who are circumcised from within. Why? Because works of the body mean little when the body is not going to be redeemed or saved anyway. But it's the works that occur within us that will save us. By Paul stipulating the we here in the text, he is contrasting the we from the them. And from the we, he's saying they have had to be circumcised to show what they can do by the law. But we are circumcised to show what he can do by his grace. It is by my continuous circumcision that Christ can show the world what can be done with a sinner once he or she submits to the word. That's why people who I used to hang out with don't recognize me anymore because I've been through surgery. I got pep in my step that I didn't have before. Why? Because I've been through surgery. I don't hang out all night anymore because I've been through surgery. I don't use the for and follow the words that I used to and I ain't talking about cheese. Say amen when you care. Why? Because I've been through surgery. Well, Jeremy, if you've been through surgery, where's your scar? My scar's in the same place as my medical history. They've both been covered by the blue. And I'm so glad that when I see Dr. Jesus that my medical history is covered by the blood because don't nobody really know what was wrong with me before I met Jesus. They think they know, but they really don't know. What they saw was just... It was nothing more than a symptom of the underlying condition. All they saw was promiscuity. They didn't see my lack of self-esteem. That in my notes, but it felt good right there. All man can see is what they're allowed to see. But God works even when man cannot see. As a body, we are the circumcision. And being the circumcision is powerful theology in itself. But let's not just look at the privilege of spiritual circumcision but let's also look at what being spiritually circumcised does. Because whenever God gives you something or allows you something, it ought to manifest itself in some way. Look at the rest of the text and how it lays out. We are the circumcision. Therefore, next thing in the text, we serve God by his spirit. We are the circumcision. Therefore, we boast in Christ Jesus. We are the circumcision. Next thing in the text. Therefore, we have no confidence in the flesh. All these things happen because we are the circumcision. Because I am the circumcision. Everything I had before don't matter now. Because I am the circumcision, I can forget what's behind and strive toward what's ahead. Oh, I hope you come back tonight. But would none of this be possible if we first were not all the circumcision? We must daily put ourselves under the knife. And once we do that, we'll serve God. By his spirit. Can I close this thing right here? I need you to see God's spirit. Whenever we talk about God's spirit, we're talking about God's breath. Spirit comes from the Greek word pneuma, from which we get pneumonia, which is what? A disease that affects the lungs and deals with respiratory breathing. So we talk about God's spirit. We're talking about God's breath. Oh, that's some powerful stuff. Y'all missed all that right there. When God, uh, when Jesus tells the woman at Samaria that one day that God is a spirit and we worship God in spirit and truth, we worship God how? In pneuma, spirit, and aletheia, truth. Pneuma is God's breath. We are here because of God's breath. We worship because of God's breath. We praise because of God's breath. We live, move, and have our very being because of God's breath. Yeah, I don't like that without no scripture. All right, let's put some script with that lip. Understand Genesis chapter 1 reminds us that man lives physically because God breathed. God breathed in the nostrils of Adam. From an Old Testament perspective, man lives spiritually. Because God breathed. Ezekiel 37 and 4, again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you so that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you might come alive. Understand and know that I am the Lord. Job 32 and 8, man understands cognitively because God breathes. But it is the spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. I don't know about you, but even the word lives because God breathes. For Paul told Timothy, all scripture. Is what? God breathes. You can't get around the breath of God and the life that his breath causes. He breathes into those who have decided to be circumcised. Therefore, in our circumcision, Jesus, in a relationship to Paul, Jesus removed what was before him so that there'd be nothing there before him. We'll talk about that on tonight. I live my life under the knife. Let's be standing and not singing. Let's be standing and not singing. I ain't finished, but I better be through right there. The question on the floor this morning is how many of us are different now than when we first begun? How many of us now are worse off now than when we first begun? How many of us harbor in our hearts things we never thought we would think, say, do, or envision? How many of us need heart surgery? We worry physically when the heart doesn't do well because we know that the heart impacts the rest of the body. In man's physicality, it's the heart that sends life to other parts of the body, and life is found in the blood. Oh, that's good preaching right there. Oh, but the same happens in man's spiritual body. When the heart is bad, then there's no life being sent to the rest of the body. Therefore even though we're physically living, we're spiritually dying. How many of us are half alive and half dead? We come here breathing but we're dying from the inside out and it's because of a defective heart. And God says, look, I want to work on Because won't nothing else get better until you allow me access to the heart. I got to circumcise the heart. I got to cut back all that stuff you don't need. But you want me. But for some reason, you don't want my instrument. See, whenever things go wrong in our lives, we seem to start praying and shouting and moaning for the Lord to show up. And we seem to want the surgeon. But when the surgeon pulls out the blade, we say, I don't need that. I just need you. And the surgeon says, yes, I want to work. I've been trained to do this. But I can't get you the results you need until I first pull out the knife. And then there's some of us who say, all right, you can pull out the knife, but first put me to sleep. And the Lord says, no, that's not how this works you got to be cognizant of what I'm about to do so I won't have to do it again. But the question is, with all the headache in your life, all the trials and tribulation in your life, have you invited the doctor in? And if you have, will you let the doctor do what the doctor has to do? You can't take Jesus without his way. Will you let the word touch your life, impact your life, change your life? For just a moment, we encourage everyone who wants the word to move in their life to come forth. But don't want him to move in your life if you're not going to take the word as part of your life. Because children of God spend their whole life under the knife. Because you know what? After one thing gets cured, another thing is coming. You understand that in your physicality. in your physicality, you always having surgery. Say amen when you can. You got surgery on your shoulder, on your knee, on your heart, on your gallbladder, on your feet, everywhere else. But then, you don't want to go to the Lord multiple times. Wow. Though you are in need multiple ways, wow. will you come to him so he can give you what you need for what you need it for? Wow. If perchance you are a child of God, And you got pain right now. You need surgery right now. You need a doctor to show up right now. Will you walk down these aisles and surrender your life back to him? Say, I've tried everything else. I need your help. Lord, I've tried to do it myself. I need your intervention. Lord, I've tried to heal myself, but I need your touch. Lord, I've tried to use every other instrument, but your word is what I need. If you are a child of God, will you come? If you're not a child of God, the doctor says there's so much ailing you right now that you need to let me in and fix everything that's broken. If you're not a child of God, you're here today, That your eyes will be open to the fact that you can't live under your own care. Will you accept Jesus? Will you come to him before it's everlastingly too late? What must I do? You must first hear the word of God. You've heard me, I'm loud enough. You must believe that he is, that he is the reward of those who diligently seek him. You must repent of your sins, meaning what? I will change my mind. I will surrender my thinking to pick up his thinking. You must confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the only name under which man can be saved. Be baptized in water for the mission of your sins, Acts 238. And live faithful unto death, Revelation 2 and 10. If you're not a child of God, you need to be covered. You understand the importance of being covered in health care. But do you understand the importance of God's watch care? Will you come to Jesus, even now. If you are a child of God, and you signed up to be covered, it makes no sense to be covered have insurance and never want to see the doctor when you're sick. My wife gets on me, Brother Barry, because I don't like going to the doctor. I don't like spending the money, and I don't like taking the time. And my wife would tell me, why in the world do you have health insurance if you're not going to use it? Oh, how many of us, though we don't have insurance, we have ushers. But we don't come use it. We don't say, look, it's free because he's paying all. There's no copay. Why won't you see him? Well, it's about time. You can't give him time. Though he hung on a cross in between time. Will you come to Jesus? Become a baptized believer even now. We'll baptize you in the water right now. If you are a child of God, come. Participate in the fact that you are the circumcision. Let him circumcise you again. Wherever you stand, make the decision that will change your life right now as we sing the song of invitation. Six oh two.